And now, enjoy this free Jason Modcast show. Hey there, this is Ralph Garman, and you are listening to the World of Myth Bits. You made an excellent choice. The World of Myth Bits. Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 41 of the World of Myth Bits. I am your host, Stephanie Barty, and I hope you've all had an amazing weekend. Here in Canada, it is a civic holiday, so we are still enjoying our weekend. (laughs) You'll have to bear with me. My voice is a little rough at the moment. I've just spent the last hour on the phone with Dave. Um plotting and planning and scheming, well, not scheming, we don't scheme, but plotting and planning and discussing and figuring out and, yeah, doing stuff. Um, We're talking about PCE and um, I don't know if you guys saw the post, but it is confirmed for Saturday, February 8th, 2020. Located at the San Bernardino County Fairgrounds inside the Valley High Toyota Pavilion. And I kind of had a little snark when I was reading Valley High. I used to read this series of books when I was a young teenager called Sweet Valley High. And it was about two blonde twins in high school and they lived in California. I'm not exactly sure where in California they lived. Um... Seeing as I have it up here, let's just let the holy jumping brain just shut right off. Uh, They're written by Francine Pascal, and I really enjoyed them. They were young adult. They were one of my first experiences in romantic literature, but it was high school romance. So, of course, there was drama. Um, but yeah, I kind of went from Judy Bloom's Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, to Sweet Valley High, um, to Danielle Steele. That was my foray into romantic literature. <laughs> <laughs> and then every summer it was whatever Harlequin romance I could get my hands on because my grandmother had hundreds. She loved them. But, yeah. And then they made Sweet Valley High a TV show and they lived in a suburb near Los Angeles and they attended Sweet Valley High. So, you would assume they lived in Sweet Valley. But yeah, if I sound a little rough, that's why. Blame Dave. I always blame Dave. Everybody blames Dave. It's all Dave's fault. So anyway, um, my week has been... Yeah. Um, the beginning of this month kind of saw the idea of a dream um, die, basically. I was um, looking at buying a local business and I 
it was all conditional upon financing. And unfortunately, um, I, I have a tendency to trust the wrong people. And I always see the good in people and believe people when they tell me, don't worry, don't worry, we'll work it out. We'll make it work. It'll happen. If you know, if you can't get financing from here, I'll be your private lender. And when somebody says that to you, you tend to believe them. And then when they just kind of completely fall off the radar after they've said, okay, let me talk to one more person. And if it doesn't pan out, my father and I will be your private investors, but your private lenders. And then you don't hear from them at all. And this is happening in like the 11th hour. It's a little heartbreaking because I had kind of almost convinced myself that this was going to happen, that, you know, this business was going to be mine and I was going to do this and I could make it work. And I was making plans and, and ways to expand and, and double the growth and all of that. And then it was just gone. You know, the clock ran out. So now I'm looking for a job. I am back on the unemployment and trying to find a job where I can make enough money to pay my bills, but still give me the freedom to write and to work on the magazine. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. So I'm not, I'm not leaving. Don't worry. I'm not leaving the magazine. Um, but I'm going to have to learn how to do time management because like I posted on Facebook, the reason why I procrastinate is because I can procrastinate and still get the job done. That's why I still procrastinate. <laughs> and I am a champion procrastinator, but I can get the job done too. Anyway, so now I'm looking for a job and there was one that I was really qualified for and would have had, I would have been able to walk right in and just sit down without any training and do it. Um, and it was paying between 24 and change and $35 and change an hour. Unfortunately, when I looked farther into it, it was a couple of towns over and I don't have a car. And where I live, it's not like you can hop a bus and go a couple of towns over. It doesn't work that way. So, yeah, looking for a job. <laughs> um, looking for a publicist, too, if you happen to know anybody out there interested. Uh, because if I can get this writing thing, you know, then if I can make enough money off of my writing to pay my bills, or at least help my husband pay the bills, great. That is my dream. Um, but anyway, I digress. So that's been my week. Um, August is not a good month for me. I don't like August. We are coming up on the 11th anniversary of my dad's death. Uh, he died on the 21st of August. And that last month 
those last three weeks before his death were brutal because we had moments where he would seem like he was getting better and, you know, he was going to be okay for a while and we'd have a few more months and then boom, he downhill again. And it seemed like every time I traveled out of town, he ended up in the, in the ICU. So I stopped leaving town. And then the week before he died, he went into a coma and we didn't leave his room. I had gone away because he was doing all right. And it was the last camping excursion of the season. Um, it was an event I'd already paid for because dad got sick really quickly. He was diagnosed in May and died in August. So it was really quick. So a lot of the events that I had scheduled throughout the summer, I'd already paid for. Um, and you don't get your, you don't get your money back. So I talked to my mom and dad and you know what, go, it's just a weekend, have a good time. We'll be here when you get back, basically. And I remember Sunday morning, um, my phone rang. I had turned my phone off Saturday night because I talked to mom. Mom's, oh yeah, dad's good. You know, he was back in the hospital, but he was doing good. Talked to my dad. We were laughing. He was doing really well, feeling all right. And um, so I felt confident in turning my phone off Saturday night. So I turned my phone off, had a few drinks, had a few laughs, and just kind of relaxed and let loose. Turned my phone back on when I went to bed and 10.30 Sunday morning, my phone rings and I fly out of my, off my air mattress, which is hard to do because air mattress, my air mattresses always seem to lose air. So I'm like in the middle, like a little bait, you know, little loop of burrito. Um, so I answer the phone and it's my mom and she's like, you need to come home right now. Your dad's in a coma. And... I have to say, the two friends I was with, they had our campsite torn down and packed up in 20 minutes. It was, it, shit was basically thrown in, but I mean, it was in and we were done. And um, I took my friend Dana home. And then we drove back up here and I dropped my other friend off and I went straight to the hospital. All my camping gear still in the back of my van went straight to the hospital and didn't leave the hospital until the day he died. We stayed the entire week with him. He was in a coma. He was, he'd had a stroke and for the first um, couple of days he was still coherent and like not coherent to where he could talk, but he knew we were there and he could respond. He would give us a, you know, a very shaky thumbs up, but he would give us a thumbs up in answer to questions. Um, my dad was a fireman. He was a volunteer fireman. As most small towns are made up of volunteers and he was a volunteer fireman. And the fire department actually petitioned because only full-time 
firefighters at the time got the firefighter's funeral, which is full dress and the flag on the, the fireman's flag on the casket, the last ride in the emergency fire truck. Um, they take a certain route and they go past the fire hall and they ring the bell three times and all of that. And only full-time firefighters qualified for that. So the fire department that he worked for, that he volunteered at, petitioned and said, you know what, our, our town is made up of volunteers. There are more volunteers than there are full-time guys. And those volunteers are at every single fire. Most small towns across Canada and I think across the United States as well, are made up mostly of volunteer firefighters who not only go to every single fire and fight those fires with everything they've got and are fully trained like a full-time firefighter, but they also go home, shower, change their clothes, and go and work an eight-hour day job. Whether it's in an office or in a garage as a mechanic or a teacher or whatever, they, volunteers don't, after the fire, don't go home and shower and sleep and, you know, wait for the next call. They go home and shower, sleep if they're lucky, and go to their regular full-time job, Monday to Friday job. And there were many fires that my dad went to at one o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning, he'd only had two hours sleep, up to a fire, off he'd go, and he would fight that fire until it was out, and sometimes it'd be five, six o'clock in the morning, he'd come home, he'd have a quick shower, cup of coffee, and he'd back out the door, he was a mechanic, out he'd go, and then he'd come home and, you know, be flaked on the couch ten minutes after dinner, <laughs> but that's what he did. And I know my mom and dad had many conversations, you know, why don't you give it up? And, but my dad couldn't. Being a fireman, same as being a police officer or a paramedic, um, it's in your blood. It's who you are. It's not a job. It's a calling. And you ask any firefighter and they'll tell you it's something that they had to do. And they're the ones that are running into the building when everybody else is running out. They, even though, and I mean, my dad, like, I used to, oh, you're so brave, dad, and, and you're fearless. And he would say, no, I'm not. Because he, he wasn't fearless. No firefighter is fearless. They're terrified when they're running into that burning building because it's human nature to turn and run. What makes a firefighter different is, yeah, they're afraid, but they still go into that building because they know there could be somebody in there that needs help. It's that need to help, that desire, that drive, that passion to serve other people, to help other people, to help their community, to fight fires and save lives. And I know for a fact, if you had told him at any point in time in his firefighting career that he would die of cancer, 
directly caused by being a firefighter, he still would have done it. He still would have done it. And he did it back in the days when they didn't have the Scott air packs. They didn't have the HEPA filter breathing systems. They had a helmet and a jacket and an oxygen mask and in they'd go. And they'd breathe in the asbestos and they'd be breathing in the lead and they'd be breathing in all the chemicals and everything. And now those firemen are dying and most of them are volunteers lifetime volunteers my dad was a fireman for 30 years a volunteer fireman for 30 years 30 years and worked a full-time job and raised three kids and kept my mom happy that in itself is a full-time job so the fire department petitioned and fought to have my father be allowed to have the fireman's funeral. And he got it. There was a bagpiper. And um, when you looked out into the church, the whole one side, all the pews were full. It was a sea of blue uniforms of firemen that came out to honor my dad and to see him off. And uh, they did the honor guard when they brought him out with the flags and they put him into the back of the rescue. They put his casket into the back of the rescue vehicle. Um, and they drove very slowly and we, as a family, walked behind them. And uh, went past the fire hall. And people were coming out and... and uh, I don't know if at first they thought it was a parade. They were just coming out being curious. And when they realized what it was, that it was actually a funeral procession, many of them saluted and took their hats off and, and you know, bowed their heads in respect. And it was really nice to see. They didn't know who was in that truck. They didn't know us. All they knew was that a firefighter was gone. And they were showing their respect. Um, there were firefighters there from all over the county, from different fire halls, different districts. Because they're, they are a band of brothers. They really, really are. And um, they rang the bell for him three times. And, yeah. And when the fire chief, Mike, came to tell my dad when he was in the hospital that last week that it had been approved that he was going to get his fireman's funeral, um, that was the last communication that we got from my dad. He put his thumb up, in a very shaky thumbs up, to say thank you. And that was it. He let go. He didn't die. Um, that took a few days. <laughs> but he's, I think he stopped fighting the effects of the stroke. And he slipped into the coma. Um, the doctor had come in a few hours before that and had told my dad that he had upped his morphine 
and had given full control to my mother and got the thumbs up for that one too. <laughs> and uh, I, it was a horrible week. I will, I will say that it was a horrible week um, because my dad died. But I wouldn't trade that week. He was going to die anyway. Um, yeah, I'd love to have him back. If I could take that week and have him back, great. But he had cancer and he was going to die. And I wouldn't trade that last week at the hospital for anything. I mean, he wasn't an active participant in the conversation, obviously. Um, but it was me and my mom and my sister and my brother and their partners and... Um, my first nephew had just been born on Father's Day. So my dad got to see his son have a son. Um, his son have his firstborn. So he got to meet his son's grandson. Or his son's son. You know what I mean. Anyway, it was a big deal. Um, we stayed that entire week at the hospital. We didn't leave. People brought us food. The hospital staff moved my dad down to the palliative care room and they brought in partitions and partitioned off that end of the hall and they brought us stretchers and they brought a couch out of the nurse's lounge for us to sleep on because we slept there and we were pretty much all in the same clothes all week. Um, they would bring us down towels and... and washcloths and stuff so we could wash up and we had family that would bring us in food every day they would there was um, a local restaurant that supplied us with food free of charge my dad had that big of an impact on people and we didn't know this because my dad wasn't one of the these guys that you know did good deeds and then bragged about the good deeds to get the pat on the back. He just did it because it was the right thing to do. Um, he was a very quiet man, but he was a very fair man and he treated everybody fairly. It didn't matter what you looked like. It didn't matter how much money you had or you didn't have. It didn't matter if you were tall, short, black, white, gay or straight. It didn't matter to my dad. He treated everybody the same. If you earned his respect, he treated you with respect. And that was a big thing with my dad was that respect and trust were earned. They weren't just given. You had to earn them. And we had a, <laughs> we had a accounting system in our house when we were kids. And a screw up was called an oh shit. And a good deed was called an add a boy or an add a girl. And it took two add a girls to clean up an oh shit. So you had to do two good things like, you know, cleaning, keeping your room clean or bringing down your laundry without being asked or doing the dishes without complaining or fighting, which was really hard for my brother and sister. Um, and my mom and dad would actually say, I had a girl. And, yes, that's one. Or, you know, yay, 
Hey, two, sweet. So you're not mad at me for the previous indiscretion? All right, you're off the hook. You're you're good. Um, but it kind of kept us in in check. But yeah, I don't know where I was going with that. I kind of lost my train of thought. Um, but we laughed that week. We cried a lot that week. Uh, and my mom and I came up with this thing that we would do. We both wore glasses and, um, we would do this thing with the washcloth because we were red and splotchy and we looked awful and we didn't want people to see us crying because then we would get the, Oh, I'm so sorry. And are you okay? And, you know, we appreciated it, but it's kind of hard to, you kind of, it's just hard. So we would tuck the wash, the top of the washcloth into the top of our glasses so that it would hang down over our glasses and over our faces. And this way we could blot our tears and not have to move and nobody could see us crying. And we were sitting like that one day and it was just me and my mom in the room. Everybody else was kind of out in the hallway because people would come in and come out and um, everybody else was kind of milling around in the hallway and it was my brother opened the door and saw me and my mom sitting there with these washcloths tucked into our glasses and he just bust out laughing which made of course us bust out laughing well people in the hallway had no idea why all of a sudden my brother who is walking into the room where his father is dying is laughing so hard now he's crying and they came in and saw us sitting there with these washcloths tucked into our glasses and they started laughing. Um, we shared memories and, and funny stories and um, we sang to them. There was a song that had come to mean a lot to my dad after he was diagnosed. My dad was not a religious man. Um, he was kind of a, I'll believe it when I see it kind of guy. And my mom and I both walk two very different religious paths. We both believe in the same concept, um, that something bigger than us is out there. We believe in divinity. She's Christian. I'm not. And those last few weeks, um, my dad talked to my mom at length about her beliefs and what happens after we die. And he talked to me at length about my beliefs and what happens after we die. And I think he made peace with himself as to what was, what he believed was going to happen. I think he, he felt better knowing that this may not be the end for him, that there might be more out there. And there was a song that um, meant a lot to him. And mom would play it and he, or he would hear it on the radio and, you know, he would sing along and We, uh, my sister brought her laptop in, um, 
this was a couple of days before he died, the day, I think it was the day before he died. And she put it, we closed the door. It was just all of us. And uh, she put that on and cranked it as loud as her little laptop would go. And we sang it to him, and it's Jesus Take the Wheel by Carrie Underwood. And to this day, 11 years later, to this day, I still could not hear that song and not bust into tears. Um, but yeah, we all sang it to him. Basically letting him know, it's okay, it's okay, Dad. You can let go. We'll be okay. We'll be all right. We lied. <laughs> we lied through our teeth. We're not okay. I mean, we're okay. We've all you know, gone on, lived our lives, done our things, and, and, you know, but we're not okay in that respect. Um, yeah. He's still very, it's 11 years later, it's, it's still very hard to talk about. My sister doesn't talk about it. Um, my brother and I talk about it with each other. And my mom and I talk about it. My sister can't. Yeah. Um, I. It'll hit me some days like it was just yesterday. You know, I don't. There's no time limit on grief. There is no. Um, schedule of how you're supposed to grieve. I mean, there's stages, yeah. But just because the person dies doesn't mean that the love that you had for that person has died as well. You don't stop loving them just because they're no longer around. You still love them. I still love my dad. It's not, I loved my dad. I still love my dad. Because he's my dad. He will always be my dad. Uh, biologically, we're not related, but he is my dad. He is, he was, and he always will be my dad. I miss him. Oh my God, I miss him. Like you wouldn't believe. I have a vehicle sitting in my driveway that I can guarantee you my dad would have had up and running in 10 minutes. And then I would have gotten a lecture about why didn't I do this? And why didn't I do that? And then he would look at my husband and go, Jesus Christ, Phil, why did you let her drive that vehicle like that? <laughs> but I love him. Still love my dad. And my mom and I never really left his side. And it was, it was kind of funny. Um, somebody had to be holding his hand. It had to be me or it had to be mom holding his hand. And if we weren't, he would start getting really agitated and upset. And I don't think it was because it was me. I think my mom and I sound a lot alike. And I think he thought I was mom near the end because he was on a lot of morphine and he was in a lot of pain um, and he was in a coma. So I think like mom would just kind of slip her hand out and I would slip my hand in and I would tell him, you know, it's okay. It's okay. I'm still here. It's okay. And I think he thought I was mom because I sound so much like my mom, 
but one of us had to be holding his hand. So, you know, the other one could go and pee and eat and all that. Um, I was not there the moment he died. My mom and dad had a, had a accounting business and a cleaning business and they were in the same office and all of our staff knew what was going on. Um, that last week was pay week, apparently. Well, no, it was pay week. And my mom hadn't made it to the bank to put the deposit in. We had pre-written the checks and we told them that we haven't made the deposit. Please don't cash your check. It's going to bounce. Just give us a little time. We'll figure it out. Well, one of our employees, um, knew this was close friends with my brother and sister and she cashed the check and it bounced and I got a very angry phone call from her as I'm standing beside my father's deathbed demanding that I come down to the office and that I fix this that she needs that money for her rent so I had to leave the hospital go down to the office and pay her. And while I was gone, it took me 15 minutes to do this. And while I was gone, my father died. I got back to the hospital and my husband came with me because, well, he came with me for the safety of the employee because I was beyond thinking at that point. Um, we knew my dad was hours, if not moments away from dying. Um, you could smell it. And there is, there is a smell. You can smell it. And I had to be called away for this very inconsiderate, cold-hearted person that couldn't wait one more day. Um... When I got back to the hospital, yeah, so my husband came with me uh, for the safety of the employee. When we got back to the hospital, my aunt was standing out front. And uh, I'll never forget that moment. As soon as I saw her, I started to run and she was telling me to slow down. It's too late. Slow down. He's already gone. You don't need to run. Slow down. I needed to run. I needed to be there and I wasn't there. I was there when my mom went out on her first date with him. I was there when he proposed to her. I was there when they got married. I was there when they had my sister and they had my brother. I wasn't there to say goodbye. I didn't get to say goodbye. But my mom keeps telling me I was doing what my dad wanted me to do. My dad would have wanted me to go. Take care of business. Needs to be done. Go do it. I'm the oldest. That's what we do. Wow. This kind of turned into a morbid... <laughs> I don't even know how I got started on this. Anyway... So, yeah. <laughs>
Sorry about that, guys. Just kind of. Told you, August is not a good month for me. Um, how was your week? <laughs> Hope you had a good weekend. Uh, today I went down to the farmer's market with my husband and got a dozen cobs of locally grown corn. I'm so excited. And tomorrow I'm going to shuck corn and then I'm going to scrape it off the cob going to bag it and freeze it for the winter and hopefully next weekend we'll go down and we'll get 12 more cobs and do it all again we have to carry it home and we walk so it's not like i'm going to do like the one year i got 60 cobs of corn for 20 bucks i'm not carrying 60 cobs of corn home that's not happening no sorry bob <laughs> so yeah i'll get a dozen a week and do that until I have enough corn in my freezer for the winter. Oh, and yesterday I went out and I harvested beans from my garden. The, the purple beans, the burgundy beans aren't ready yet. But I got some yellow beans and I got some green beans. And I gave the squirrels the finger because last year it was squirrels one, me zero. This year it's me one, squirrel zero. I win I got beans. I got to eat a bean. Right out of the garden, still warm from the sun, brushed the dirt off, snapped the ends off, and ate it. Because you know what? I know what's in that dirt. I know what's in that bean. I grew that bean and I beat those furry little mafia monsters. I have beans. So I'm going to have beans in my freezer for the winter. Beans out of my garden. I am so happy. Uh, tomatoes. Good Lord. The tomatoes that we have, we have a plethora of tomatoes this year, which is great because we had to buy tomatoes last year. Last year was just a horrible growing season. Nothing grew, but we moved everything out of their usual spots. I mean, I know you're supposed to rotate your crops for the soil, but the way we rotated it apparently wasn't compatible with what we were trying to grow because we couldn't grow anything. But we had a really wet spring and then a really, really, really dry, cool summer. Um, with, I think like we had two weeks where it was just unbearingly hot. Like we were over a hundred with 90, like 85% humidity. It was just stupid this year. Much better growing season. Oh, crap. I hope my husband remembered to turn the hose off. I better send him a message while I'm thinking about this. Right now, yes, you people are going to hear me do everyday life stuff. Um, but yeah, much better growing season. And I have beans. I'm happy. Like I said, I have the Fort Knox of bean gardens and the squirrels didn't get in. The rabbits didn't get in. The groundhogs didn't get in. Nothing got in. I have beans. I am a happy girl. That's all I wanted was beans. But tons of tomatoes. Um, so I'll be able to freeze tomatoes for sauces and stews and stuff. And yeah, today we went to the farmer's market and bought corn and I got a nice bottle of wine 
that is exclusive to the farmer's market. It's um, from one of the local wineries, Niagara-on-the-Lake wineries, but they make this particular wine specifically for this farmer's market. It's only sold at this farmer's market. It, oh, I had a taste of it while I was down there. It was so good. So I bought a bottle, which I think um, I'm going to sit and sit in my backyard tomorrow afternoon in the sunshine and have a glass of wine and enjoy it. So that was my week. Not much happening. Um, going to be getting my passport soon or applying for my passport. So, yay, that's a plus, which means that, you know, I'll be able to go to PCE in February because, <laughs> you know, you have to have one of those things to cross the border. So, getting my passport, well, applying for my passport. And, yeah. Looking forward to PCE. I have a bone to pick with Carl Gottlieb about Jaws, but, you know, there you go. Um, oh, right. I know what else, because I completely went off on a melancholy tangent there. I want to congratulate Walter G. Esselman for coming in third place in the Open Contract Challenge. And if you want to know who the two contestants are that are moving on into the final round, they are going head to head now. This is it. This is for the whole enchilada. Then hang around at the end of this podcast. There's going to be a special announcement tacked on. So you can hear us tell the two contestants that they are moving on. That they are the top two. So stick around at the end of this podcast which I think we're at the 41 minute mark. We're going to wrap this up. So check us out at www.theworldofmyth.com and um, go vote, go read and get, we are now accepting submissions for the September anniversary issue. So you can send those to Stephanie Barty at theworldofmyth.com. That's S-T-E-P-H-A-N-I-E-B-A-R-D-Y at theworldofmyth.com. You can read all the guidelines at www.theworldofmyth.com. You can check us out on Twitter and Facebook at The World of Myth Magazine. You can check the podcast out on Twitter and Facebook at The World of Myth Bits Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Lupa B or on Facebook at author Stephanie Barty. I'm also over on Instagram at Stephanie Barty Author. All right. I will chat with you all next week and I promise I will not be as morose and melancholy. And hopefully we'll have a voice that's going to hold out the entire podcast and not get squeaky like I'm hearing it is getting at the end here. Okay, everybody. Have a good week. See ya. So we've got Stephanie, Jeff, and Melissa. First, let me yeah. say it yeah. is really good to hear your voices. Hey, get closer to the mic, though, Dave. You're fading away. Am I? You are. Okay, how about now? There we go. All right. 
And because I, I see you guys' faces on Facebook, but I don't have a voice. So now I have a voice. I, apolo- <laughs> I apologize for you having to see that. <laughs> um, well, let's shoot. I was trying to get the other two, but I guess I'll just go ahead and, and uh, go with you two for now. And then I'll, I'll go ahead and reach the other two. And uh, the whole reason behind this call is because I want to congratulate both of you for being the final two contestants to the Open Contract Challenge. Congratulations. You guys made it to the finals. Oh, wow. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Congratulations, you two. You guys Thank you. Thank you. Head to head. It has been really fun to sit back and to watch this unfold. I mean, it's uh, – it's kind of unfair to Stephanie because Stephanie only gets the second hand part and nobody knows who the, the judges are except me. And for each round, there's a new set of judges. So I, I enjoy watching their response and through the very beginning from the select 50 in the beginning to now, everybody has said the same thing about your two and your submissions. And congratulations. Thank you. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah, for the first time in a long time, I'm actually speechless. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I know in the rounds that I voted, because I, I was a judge for one of the rounds, um, both of your stories stood out to me, like right from the very beginning. And I didn't even know they were yours. Oh, yes. <laughs> That's another thing I, I forgot to mention is, is that – I take the the title and I take the name of the author, the contributor, and I replace it with a number. And that way it is 100% non-biased voting. They don't know the title. They don't know the, the, the contributor or the author or wrong, wrong venue. This isn't the magazine. This is a contest. So you're contestants. <laughs> <laughs> It's magazine day too, so. <laughs> it is. Um, so congratulations. Yes, this is being recorded. That's why I'm on a mic. And it will be not tomorrow, but Monday. It'll be out for the World of Myth Bits as an add-on. So either of you are going to to win. I mean, I okay. First of all, I should say that you both are getting an ebook contract. So that means oh, wow. okay. that wow. for sure guaranteed you guys are going to be published in the Kindle wow. form. Uh, <laughs> I need to find out you're going to do a talk show. Um, all you have to do is kind of like this is call in and the, the host will talk to you probably within the week. I, like I said, I have to uh, call and find out for sure. And they'll talk about how you came up with your ideas for the story and, and, you know, the, the road to the finale and whoever wins. And of course, whoever wins will get a print paperback contract as well and get some cash. Well, you both will get some cash at this point too. And one of you will be meeting Stephanie and I in California, February 8th at PCE. So congratulations, guys. Thank you. Congratulations, Jeff. That's fantastic. Well, I can say that come February 8th, whether I win or not, I'm doing everything I can to make it there. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, we will find out in the pages of 
this anniversary issue of the world of myth who wins i have the task of sitting down and that will be the next step and i, I guess i'll just tell you now is send me your books the completed yeah. book as soon as you can and i will sit down and i will read both books and make a very difficult decision and it will be announced in the 15th anniversary of the world of myth that is awesome do you take good. my pill no the editor takes pride (laughs) yeah absolutely (laughs) congratulations and i look forward to reading your stuff that's awesome thank you very much congratulations jeff yeah you too Elizabeth. <laughs> Thanks, Stephanie. And, and I have to thank you because I got to do the video game review, and now I have an excuse. My wife can't stop me. I get to play for work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> to the delinquency of yet another husband. Awesome. <laughs> I'm all for that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> all right, everybody. Have a great weekend. Congratulations sincerely. And I will Thanks talk much. to you all soon. Talk all right. Kids. Thank you. You guys take care. Bye bye. The world of Mythbits.